0: Hi, I'm Sean. Uh, I'm reading Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and 18. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, sorry, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you.
1: You literally dropped the mic.
0: It's
1: pretty good. Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. It is my joy and privilege and honor to be with you to study God's word together. I want to welcome you, especially if you're new here. I know it can be hard to join a new church family. You're figuring out what is this place all about. Um, If you want to meet and get coffee sometime. I know I can speak for any of the pastors, elders, or staff that we would all love the chance to get to know you a little better and hear your story. Well, just to catch us up on where we are, if you are new, we are in the final week of a 10-week study through the Book of Colossians. And it's been a really sweet time. It's just four chapters, but it took us 10 weeks to get through, which is not bad when you think about it. Um, But I hope it's been an encouragement to you as well. But starting next week... Remember, we are starting a new series called We Want a King, which is a look through the Old Testament at the lives of Saul. We're going to be spending five weeks looking at the life of Saul. We're going to be spending 11 weeks looking at the life of David, and then another five looking at the life of King Solomon. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, Family Sundays next week. One quick thought about that, too, that I like, as my kids are right in that age where they're sort of preteen. That's bizarre to say, by the way. Uh, they're sort of in that preteen age. And one of the things we're thinking about is, how do we just demystify big church? If you grew up in the church, you kind of, I, I remember thinking of it that way. I don't know what happens in that main church building. Uh, it's all mysterious to me. So we want to just demystify that and make sure that kids know what, the, what happens in here. And I love that my kids get to see you all worshiping. That's such a sweet thing. So uh, just to add to all the reasons why we're doing that. But that look through uh, We Want a King that we're starting next week is going to take us all the way up into November. And right after that is when we're going to do our Advent series. So it's basically Christmas right now. <laughs> which is maybe why we sing Joy to the World. Although you would say it's not a Christmas song, as you said. All right. So before we dig in, on behalf of the elders, I have some thoughts for us to consider regarding the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision announced on Friday. I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. And first, I just would ask for your grace in communicating anything like like this. It's just, in our congregation, there is no universal reaction to that news. There are some who are overjoyed and some who are dismayed, and we want to just pastor everyone through that. So first, just give us your grace. And second, you should know that we generally do not speak on... Uh, political issues just for the sake of politics. That's not really what this space is for. That's not what we're about. But policy that intersects with scripture, we do have something to say about. Because the sanctity of life is an important biblical issue. And so in that regard, we are pleased with with the Supreme Court's decision. However, contrary to what many would have you believe, that, that this decision is a primarily moral one made by the court, as something that infringes on rights to abortion, that's simply not true. The court's decision was a legal one that overturned Roe because the original one in 1973 was deemed to overreach in making abortion laws and regulations a federal rather than state issue where constitutionally it belongs. And so while we are pleased with any decision that directly or indirectly supports the sanctity of life, this is not the end of the story by a long shot. In fact, this doesn't change anything for, for many states. Each state will now have to develop their own laws and regulations regarding this issue, and we, the church, ought to continue to press on with the convictions of God in Scripture regarding this with any, any issue. And one last thought on that. Now could be a great time for you to consider getting more involved. Um, first, I would say if, if that... Uh, If dismay was your reaction at this news this last Friday, I would encourage you to talk with your community group leader. Talk with one of the pastors. We'd love to meet with you and pray with you. Um, We want you to be able to pray and process through those things so that when you do engage, you're able to do that with um, love and grace that mark the ministry of Jesus as you serve. But there are many ways Redemption Arcadia has been partnering with um, single mothers, including Uh, mothers in difficult situations for years, and I just would invite you to get involved. One way is through AZ-127. You could partner with adoptive families. You could even consider adopting yourself, And, and there's, of course, many more ways to get involved there, and second, Hope Women's Center has been a partner of ours for years, and we love what they're doing. They directly serve underserved mothers and single mothers in our community, and there's actually a summer drive right now you could help with just practically, we've been doing it all the month of June. Uh, we've been donating back-to-school supplies. That's why the backpacks are back there. That's June, July. We're donating household supplies to them. And then in August, we're hoping to raise up some pantry basics for them. And, of course, you can also jump in and help out at, at their Central Phoenix location anyway. I think it's providential from the Lord that our passage is what it is. There's many things that will speak and come alive in this issue on the text today. And while our text is mostly about the mission of God and prayer, that's where we're going to spend the majority of the time thinking and, and uh, working through. My hope and prayer is that you're able to consider those things and apply them uh, in this issue as well. So let me pray. God, we thank you for your word and its wisdom. We thank you, God, for what it reveals about who you are, God, and your character. God, what it teaches us about the sanctity of all life, including the unborn. God, help us, your church, be a refuge and a safe place for those who are struggling, for single moms, unwanted pregnancies. It is a, uh, a difficult and challenging road to walk. So we pray that we would be a place where people would, would come and uh, receive the love and support and care that they need, really as an extension of your love and support and care, God. We pray for your word uh, as we study it, that it would come alive to us. God, that's what your Holy Spirit does on these pages. It's not just words. They are living, they are active, and they are the source of truth and wisdom. And God, in all of the anxiety in the world around us, thank you that we, in your word, can find peace. We can find hope. We can find purpose. We thank you for it. And God, help us to see it rightly. And we pray that by your spirit, your word would change us today into looking more like you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's read verse 2 together. Colossians 4, verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And we'll just pause right there. Some have said that this first verse is a summary of all that Paul is writing in Colossians. Aside from what he's already said about the preeminence of Christ, the topic that I got to preach on last time I was up here was that famous verse, Christ is all and in all. And if that's true, then this is Paul's main point. That we, as his, as his people, would continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, looking at that first phrase, there are some things to pay attention to as we study. First, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Another way you could translate that would be devote yourselves to prayer. Give attention to prayer. Be faithful to pray. Spend a lot of time doing it. Persist in prayer. Now, there's no coincidence that prayer is powerful In prayer, we can actually change how God moves in the world. What a a privilege that is. What a powerful gift. And yet it should be no surprise to us that that prayer is so hard. It's hard to be faithful in prayer. I think it's one of the ways that, that Satan would love to discourage us as Christians would be to pray less. And here's Paul saying, pray more. I have this the way my brain works, I get these little phrases that just, they feel like they rattle around in my brain for a couple of weeks, like, like the marble in a, in a spray can. Uh, but one of them was, uh, and it came to mind as I was studying, that if Jesus had a love language, you know, we talk about the five love languages, if Jesus had one, it would be quality time. You could also argue acts of service, not just hearing what he says, but also doing it. But But quality time, think about prayer as quality time with Jesus. And if you're there and you're going, man, I've tried, prayer is just hard. Try to maybe build it around a rhythm you already do every day, like go to sleep. We all go to sleep, I think so. Um, When your head hits the pillow, pray for five minutes before you fall asleep. And start there and just build that habit out from there. Make it more time or add another rhythm later in the day when you eat, when you drive, things like that. One of the things that was mind-blowing to me last week, if you were here, we interviewed Lacey, who's our overseas missionary, and she was here. It was really sweet to see her. If you remember, one of the things she said, Frank said, how can we support you? She said, you can give financially. And then she said, but honestly, I'm good there. She's like, God's been really faithful and I've provided, but I'm always looking for more, so so sure. Uh, But what she said was, I really want your prayers. And you remember she said, I feel it when you pray. And I feel it when you don't pray. Man, that was just so eye-opening and so encouraging to see. Now, who's that person that you used to pray for but maybe maybe have forgotten about, maybe you've given up on? I know for me, there's a family member. He might be watching, so just I'm not going to say it, but... There's a family member I used to pray for all the time. He's not saved. I would love to be able to talk about Jesus with him. But he's got all these walls, all these barriers, and it just began to feel kind of hopeless, if I'm being honest. It's, It's difficult to continue steadfastly in prayer. And maybe this is your sign to pick that back up and continue praying for them, to be steadfast in it. And I would also just selfishly pray, uh, ask for your your prayers for the pastors and leaders here. I I just would echo what Lacey said last week, that we feel when you pray for us. And we feel when you don't. So please pray for us. We would definitely covet your prayers. Notice what else he says in there, that we ought to be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Watchful. Watchful. There is a present and future reality to this language that he uses here, this command. Presently, this could mean being watchful for God's hand in those that you pray for. Watching for the answer to your prayers and being thankful. Whenever we pray for something and then we see it happen, it's natural for us to go, Wow, thank you, God. That's amazing. So we need to be watchful in it. One way you could do that if you've never thought about this before is to keep a prayer journal where you write what it is that you're specifically asking God for and then reviewing it every so often and seeing did God answer that. Because sometimes we pray and God remembers but we just, we, we move on, we forget. Oh yeah, I did pray for that thing. God doesn't forget and he answers those prayers whether we see them or not. Some have said, too, that thankfulness leavens the one who prays away from praying merely selfish prayers towards praying more intercessory prayers, praying on behalf of others. That thankfulness is one of the things that leads us towards that. Now, in the future sense, there's a strong eschatological or future return of Christ in this language here. Throughout Scripture... When it says be watchful, that's often the context that it's in, is to be watchful for the return of Christ. So another way you could say this would be devote yourselves to prayer because Jesus is coming back soon. Live like that's true. If Jesus was coming back soon, we should pray. We should continue in prayer. But to do it with thanksgiving, why why if we're doing it expecting the imminent return of Christ, would we be thankful? Well, the imminent return of Christ is that Christ's coming back in judgment. And for those who are in Christ, we, we have been given the righteousness of Christ. And in that judgment, we are not condemned. And that, that creates thankfulness in our own heart. So Paul himself asks for prayer in the next two verses. Let's read three and four together. Paul says, At the same time, Pray also for us. He's going to talk more about who he means when he says us. That God may open a door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So us, he's going to mention that in verse 10, who he means. But there's some fellow prisoners with him, this little group that he's been discipling, he asked for prayer to help clearly proclaim the gospel while he's in prison. Remember the context here. Where is Paul? He's in prison in Ephesus. It's not a, a wonderful place to be. It's fascinating. It's been said a lot, but I'll say it again. It's fascinating that Paul doesn't pray to be released from prison. I feel like that would be the first thing. All right, let's get this out of the way. Pray that I get out of prison because I'm innocent. I didn't do anything Right? First, let's get that done. And now pray that while I'm in here, sure, that God would use the time and that I'd, you know, be able to witness to people and, and stuff like that. So, why? Why would Paul pray this way? Why wouldn't he pray to get out? Well, I'll, I'll answer that by, by sharing this. I've walked with people in our church experiencing incredible suffering. Incredible suffering. And they're able to do it with joy. How? It's the same question. How can Paul not ask for prayer to get out of prison? And how could Christians go through suffering with joy? It's the same question. Paul is viewing his prison sentence as sharing in the very sufferings of Jesus himself. Remember earlier in Colossians, he says, I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's suffering. Meaning, Jesus was taken out, he was killed... And I'm continuing his work of suffering in the world. Suffering is all around us, and the church has that same hope that is offered to you and I. To the Christian, our suffering is an invitation into deeper friendship with Jesus. And Paul wants to speak the gospel clearly, boldly, to proclaim what he calls the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. When I was first in ministry, I would, I led the kids ministry and the youth ministry. And I'd ask my volunteers all the time because the kids are going to ask you, what is the gospel? How would you articulate it practically if a fourth grader comes up to you and says, you guys say this word all the time, gospel, what does it even mean? Right? How many of you could answer that, like Paul says, clearly and boldly? We need to be able to do that. We need to be able to speak the gospel. And if you're sitting there going, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I would say there. Simply, you could say, the gospel is the story of Jesus, cover to cover. It's his, it's his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. That's the gospel. And it's good news because his life brings hope, salvation, all of those things. It's good news. But here's, here's the thing that I think Paul's getting at with the mystery of Christ thing." Could you articulate how the story of Jesus, the gospel, has changed you? How it's changed you? What part of it grabbed hold of your heart and changed you? And you were never the same. It's not just about repeating the facts of his life, death, and resurrection. It's how has it impacted you? That's that's what I think Paul's getting at here. And Paul gives us more instruction in verse 5. Let's read that now. Five through six. Walk in wisdom. He starts. He shifts from his prayer request back to instruction to the church. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, that language, walk, walk, anytime the Bible uses that, it's a picture for your whole life. As you walk through this life, whatever you do, do it with wisdom towards outsiders in mind. Keep in mind that outsiders, meaning people outside of the church, those outside of the faith, those who don't follow Jesus, they see the way that you live. They see the way you live, especially when they know you are a Christian, then they really see Again, he's giving the eschatological framework by using the phrase, making the best use of the time. He's nodding ahead towards Jesus' return, that we need to pray like Jesus is coming back soon and walk like Jesus is coming back soon. Now, I found this quote helpful in getting the context of why Paul speaks this, specifically to the Colossian church. Let me read this quote from uh, William Hendrickson. He says this, In the days of the early church, believers were often slandered by these outsiders. For example, they were called atheists because they served no visible gods. They were called unpatriotic because they didn't burn incense before the image of the emperor. And immoral because of necessity, they would often meet behind locked doors. The apostle knew that the best way to defeat this slander was for Christians daily to conduct themselves not only virtuously instead of wickedly, but wisely instead of foolishly. It's as if the apostle were saying, behave wisely towards outsiders, always bearing in mind that though few men read the sacred scrolls, all men read you. All men read you. Not many around you have read the Bible or will read the Bible, but they will read your life. They will read you. Take every opportunity you can and, I think, repent of the ones that you let slip by. Have you ever had that moment where you're arriving home and maybe your neighbor comes out at the same time and you have this back and forth in your heart where it's like, I'm tired. <laughs> it's been a long day. I don't want to do this like awkward small talk thing. But you have an opportunity right there, right there. How many times have you taken it? How many times have you sort of let it, let it slide by? The good news for us, church, is that the mission of God moves on. The mission of God moves on, but he invites us into it. There's grace for where we fall short, and yet he, like a good father, is picking us up and saying, now go, go. we got to take those opportunities. That's why he's giving this Jesus is coming back soon framework. There's an urgency you can start to feel in Paul's text here. He's saying, if that's true that Jesus is coming back soon... Don't miss that little opportunity to talk to your neighbor. You never know what God will do with that. You never know. Now, what we're talking about here is basically evangelism. Paul is saying, You are an evangelist. That might sound a little scary. That's why I've not used that word yet. I've been sort of sneaky, sneaky doing it. Now, that word might sound scary to you. Maybe you don't think of yourself as an evangelist, but Paul does. Paul thinks of you, Christian, as an evangelist. Clearly. Now, keep in mind, we don't all have to be Billy Graham to evangelize. God has made us, though. God has formed us, and not by accident the way we are. We must leverage, as as evangelists, who we are, using the gifts that God's given us to evangelize in everything we do, everything we say. So I wanted to... Because I think that there are probably a few of us in here who are going, great, I'm on board. How practically do I do this? And I can't spend, I wish I could, I can't spend a ton of time unpacking it all, but I wanted to be able to give you a couple of resources to help you consider how, practically, to be an evangelist in your neighborhood and in your workplaces. And I know we're getting really fancy around here at Arcadia with this QR code thing, but on that QR code thing, You'll find these two resources also. There's a PDF and there's a link to a book. You might have seen these before, maybe you haven't. I just thought, let's just get it out there. So, the first one would be a book recommendation for my readers out there. It's called The Symphony of Mission, and it's written by our very own Jim Mullins, who's a lead pastor at uh, Redemption Tempe. It's an amazing book, it's really practical. I like the subtext says they're helping you play your part in God's work in the world. And it's not, it's not very long. What's that? 180 pages. You can do that. Um, but it's really helpful if you're looking for how do I begin to understand how this works practically on the ground? How do I do it? Now, maybe you're here and you're not much of a reader. That's okay. God still loves you. <laughs> I have a two-page PDF for you. Is that better? Um, uh, you might be familiar with this uh, um, but these are called BLESS rhythms it's an acronym that breaks it down again I can't go into all this but here's my hope is that if you're interested in this you'll scan that QR code and get the digital one of these or I printed like 50 of them at the connect desk if you just want to grab one that's fine too Uh, but in it you'll find rhythms to very practically again plan how you're going to engage in God's mission this week, and then reflect, how did that go? What did God do? What did I see? Really, really helpful. Uh, My family has found it helpful, too, as we've studied it. So there you go. There's those two things. All right, all I'm asking is that you just consider maybe trying it. But um, let's get back to our text. Now, we're going to read a larger chunk of text here to close out, and these are Paul's basically final words to us in this book, giving his closing remarks, and then we'll talk about just a couple of things from there. So bear with me. It's a little bit of a longer section, but we can do it. Verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So this Tychicus guy is being sent to deliver this letter and likely read it to the Colossians. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice... This is a different Jesus. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. This is what Paul says about Epaphras' work. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So that last verse there, he clearly picked up his own pen and wrote that last bit. The the rest of this would have been dictated, but it's a fascinating little detail. Just a couple of things to pull from from Paul's final words here. Verse 9 with this mention of the Onesimus guy. There's a clue to a little bit of family drama going on with the church at Colossae. This is the same guy referenced in Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon was a member of the Colossian church as well. And if you remember, Onesimus, this is one of Paul's main reasons for writing the book of Philemon, that Onesimus was a bondservant. If you were here last week, Pastor Frank talked about this this idea of bondservant. Onesimus was a bondservant, but he escaped from Philemon became a believer, and then became a kind of son to Paul. And Paul sends him back knowing Onesimus is going to be in trouble because he escaped, saying instead, I want you to receive him back as a brother. Think of Philemon's reaction to that. He would have been like, what? Paul says, anything wrong he did, account it to me. But, but receive him back as a brother. And he says the same thing here. Onesimus, who is one of you, He's one of you. Now look back at 12 through 13 and you'll see reference to that guy named Epaphras. Any Christian parents thinking about bringing that name back? It could be cool. Little Epaphras running around. I want to think about this this encouragement that Paul gives about Epaphras' work. Paul says, I've witnessed Epaphras struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Such an interesting way to describe prayer, isn't it? But it's so relatable. Struggling. The very same thing Paul is calling us to do as we began this passage, he is praising Epaphras for doing. He's seen it. Now, this word struggling, if we dig into it a little bit, we learn about the kind of struggling Paul had in mind. It often could be translated as fight, struggle, struggle agonize, battle. It's often like a sports word, like you're contending, you're battling in a sports kind of a way. You can tell I'm a sports guy. yeah. In a sports kind of way, you're battling. So a couple of things here. He's praying that the church may stand mature and fully assured in the word of God, in the will of God. And I want you to know, church, that your elders and pastors, deacons, so many other leaders do this kind of prayer on your behalf. And I hope that's encouraging to hear. Every week the pastors meet on Tuesday morning and we start our meeting with prayer. Almost always you guys come up. Almost always. Once a month the deacons meet and they spend a large part of their time praying practically for the needs that we're aware of and the needs more generally in the church. Why? Because we believe prayer is powerful. God works through prayer. And because we want the same thing as Epaphras, that you, church, would stand mature and fully assured in the will of God over your life. Specifically in our time through this book, our prayer has been that you would see Christ as preeminent in all things more clearly. See him as Paul presents him in this book at the very center of the world around us. You know, if you did a word cloud, which is where you take all the words of a book and, and put them in uh, and average them out, that's the word I'm looking for, the words that come across more often will be larger, the words that come across left off less often will be smaller. Here's what that would look like. Go ahead, Rai. So obviously Colossians, they just that's the title in there. But what's helpful is you start to notice some of the main themes, Right? And obviously what's jumping out, Christ, God, the Lord, that we are one. So this has been our prayer for you as we've gone through this this book of Colossians, that you would see Christ as your Lord and as your all in all. But we are not the only ones praying for you, praying that you would see that. Epaphras reminded me of a particular moment when Jesus himself struggled in prayer on our behalf. Luke tells us that Jesus contended, he battled, he agonized in prayer on the way to the cross for us. One of the many roles that Jesus pray, uh, plays to this day is one of intercessor. Intercessor just be a word for praying on someone else's behalf, interceding for them. Hebrews tells us that Jesus functioned as our functions, as our great high priest. Now, the priest would sacrifice for the sins of the people, and he would intercede in prayer on their behalf. When was the last time you considered that Jesus is currently, in this moment, praying for you? That's a sweet thought, isn't it? We tend to think of prayer as something we do to God, But we forget that Jesus joins us in that, praying over us, struggling on our behalf. And today, as we respond in worship and prayer to God, consider the fact that Jesus is right in that moment praying for you. And let it make your heart so thankful, like Paul says. Because at the end of Jesus' agony in the garden, his resolve was set, and the march to the cross began. And he did it for us to make us a people that would now carry his message forward with them, with him from there, making the best use of the short time we're given before we join him in eternity. I did my first funeral here uh, a year or so ago, and that was by far the feeling in the room, if you've been to one of those recently, is time is short. Our lives really are just a, a blip. They really are. We ought to make the best use of the short time we're given. In his letter, Paul has clearly said to us that because Christ is all and in all, we ought to give him our all. Our families should look different than the world around us. Our communities and neighborhoods will look different with this kind of missional engagement. Now, because of the work of Christ, his mission is on the move. Let's be clear. It's not our mission. It's his mission. He has done it all. Our hope, our future are eternally secured. And praise God for that. We can't mess that up. (laughs) So let's be wise and clear in our evangelism. Let's not give up praying for others, being on the lookout for God. And let's be eager in our evangelism, taking every opportunity we can because Jesus is coming again soon. Amen? Let's pray. Spirit, we need you for these things. We need your grace, Jesus, your mercy that's new every morning. And we thank you that you have freed us to engage, to be faithful from a place of rock-steady assurance in our future hope. It does not depend on our faithfulness, but on your faithfulness, Jesus, and you were faithful. You are the faithful one. Thank you, God, for your free gift of grace, so undeserved. And God, out of an overflow of love and appreciation, help us to engage and be faithful. Spirit, we pray that you would speak to us, expose sin, help us to repent quickly, turn to you again, and we have an opportunity for that right now. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week after hearing God's word, we respond. We respond in taking communion together. And there's something so sweet about us, not as individuals taking communion, but as one body taking communion together. We take communion, we remember that Jesus, represented by the bread, his body was crushed and broken like that bread for us. His blood was spilled like the wine for us. We remember the sacrifice that he made. We repent of our sin and remember his grace. We also sing in response. This is something that God's people do. It's one of the, reason, it's one of the things you can't do at home is to be here and worship together. There's something so sweet about hearing your neighbor behind you singing. However, off key. <laughs> and we give during this time too. There's, communion, uh, there's giving boxes at the back of the room. You can also give online. And the last thing we do during this time is this is an opportunity you have to pray. Pray with the person sitting next to you. Come up and ask for prayer. Our staff and pastors and elders will be up there. If you want prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. So let's uh, do that together now and come and take communion when you're ready.
0: The perfect flawless love Infinitely dear to God above Savior of the world, all that I need, losing perfect love to breathe His life in me. For the broken world to see, forsaken by the Father, Jesus gave His life for me. Who died so I could know His love? On the cross, He took my sin. Oh His His life for me The Lamb upon the altar I will glorify the one Who reigns with God in heaven The resurrected Son Who died so I could know For broken to see
2: Forsaken by the Father
0: Jesus for me, a lamb upon the altar. I will glorify the one who reigns God in heaven, the
2: resurrected
0: Son who died so I could know.
2: See, your river runs with love for me, and I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. I'm happy to be in the truth, and I will daily lift mine. Oh, I will always sing but when your love came down. I could sing of your love. and the sea, your river runs with love for me, and I will open up my heart, let the healing set me free, I'm happy to be in the truth, and I will daily lift my hands, for I will always sing, of when your love came down, I could sing of your love forever. Sing of your love forever I could sing of your love forever I could sing of your love forever Oh, I feel like dancing It's foolishness I know seen the light they will dance with joy like we're dancing now and oh I feel like dancing it's foolishness I know and when the world has seen the light they will dance we dancing now. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of Could sing of your love I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love for. One more time, just the voices. And I. I could sing of Your love forever. I could sing of Your love forever. Amen.
0: We on? Oh, there it is. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, Beautiful word. Um, We get to preach it every day, learn, transform, grow from it. And I just want to pray this over us as we go into our week. Uh, Lord, I pray over this congregation that you would make us of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counting others is more important than ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. We love you. Thank you for being here. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. We'll see you next week.